So you've got a title for this week's message. It's God's Grand Design for Marriage, Part 2. And let's pray before we get into this together. Well, Lord, I thank you for the gift of marriage. It is a gift and it is an expression of your kindness. And it does indeed have specific purpose and pattern to it. Lord, my body is weak as I begin to articulate this, but my spirit is so willing. So, Lord, would you give me grace? Would you give me strength? Would you give me articulation and clarity of thought? And Holy Spirit, for all of us, would you impact us? Whether we be married, single, man or woman, would we be affected by your word? Either that we would need to change and actually practice what is being preached today, or we would need to acknowledge that this is not for us, We're not a married man, but we do support those that are. So, Lord, give us grace and help us by your grace. Amen. You know, in the preparing for these messages on marriage, one of the things that's been kind of neat is it's just given me time to to actually think about my marriage to Emma and just the, the kind of girl she is. And just one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is just how similar we are in certain areas, but also just how different we are in a lot of areas. For example, I do have a little bit of a touch of OCD, so I like it. I prefer it when all the family come in that we all put our shoes in straight lines. You know, I just think that's the way it should be in a home because I just feel it's a bit messy. And and I prefer it when you go into the pantry that that all of the labels are out the front so you can see what's there. You know, that's the one I prefer. Emma doesn't care less. So Emma would deliberately put the shoes in in like a circle if need be. You know, deliberately put the labels around the pantry, just all wobbly. You're like, what is this? I can't cope. I can't see what's going on. We're just so, we're so different. I mean, take man flu, for example. I clearly get it a lot worse than she's ever had it. I mean, I don't know why, but it's just something in our genes, men, that causes us to have flu uh, an awful lot worse than our wives. I'm a night guy. I love staying up late on the whole. Emma hates staying up late. It's just a nightmare for her, but she loves to get up early in the morning. I don't want to get up early in the morning. We're just very different. I like desserts. She likes salad. She really likes swimming. I don't like water. You know, we're very different in so many different areas of our lives. And yet today, I want us to examine and look at what Emma and I's primary difference is. And indeed, actually, what anybody's primary difference is if they are married. Namely, roles. God-given, divine order roles for husband and wife for the glory of God. You see, last week we looked together at God's purpose for marriage. We saw it in verses 31 and 32 of chapter 5. God's purpose for marriage being that marriage as intended by God is designed to reveal the glorious relationship between Christ and the church. That is the purpose of marriage. That is the pointer. It is an illustration and a reflection, a glorious reflection of Christ's relationship with the church, Christ and his bride. And then we closed last week just by looking at God's pattern for marriage, a truth that we see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We saw, I trust, that men and women are equal in value, dignity, And ability to reflect the character of God as image bearers. That's what we saw in Genesis 1. But we also then began to crack open the truth that men and women are made distinct in their and different in their roles. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 2. Men, you are the head. 
You've been given that role by God very clearly, undeniably, in Scripture. Women, your role is that of a helper. Don't shoot the messenger. Read Genesis 2. This is what it teaches us in God's Word very clearly. And all this is prior to the fall. So prior to the fall of mankind, prior to sin introducing itself into the world, it was very clear that men and women are equal in value and dignity and ability to reflect God's character as image bearers. But it is also very clear from Genesis 2 that men and women are made different in their roles. We have a head and we have a helper within the context of marriage. Now, God designed it this way. And like everything else in creation, it was good. But then comes Genesis 3. The fall. And that's where we really see the introduction of pain. And pain is vicious stuff. Ladies, your pain would be in childbirth. Could you imagine if you didn't have that? I mean, what happens? How do you know to push? I mean, presumably you would just be like, oh, there he is, little Josh. Never even felt a thing. I don't know how it would work before the fall, but apparently there was no pain at all. Men, there would be no pain for you in your work. You would no longer be sitting on the Pacific Highway cursing everybody because you're stuck in a traffic jam and it's taking you three hours to get to work. There'll be no pain in your work. There'll be no difficulty in your work. So for ladies, there's an introduction in childbirth of pain. For men, there was an introduction into your role, particularly work that would involve pain and toil. But there was also in Genesis 3, verse 16, the introduction of pain into our relationships, wasn't there? As you look at God's curse on mankind, particularly husband and wife, the issue was that wives would desire to desire for their husbands and that men, husbands, would desire to rule over their wives. So here's the, here's the scene. Genesis 1, God created man and woman, equal in value, dignity, and ability to reflect the character of God. Genesis 2, God gives different roles, the role of head and the role of helper. Genesis 3, the introduction of pain. So instead of a man just wanting to be a faithful head, he wants to rule over his wife. He wants to beat her down. He wants to dominate her. And the introduction of pain for a woman is instead of being submissive and want to follow, she desires for a husband. You know, when I was young, I used to think, I like the idea of that, my wife desiring for me. But in the Hebrew, that desire is not a good thing. It's desire to manipulate her husband. So you've got a guy that wants to rule over his wife. And a wife that wants to manipulate the husband. So if you're going to be my head, I'm jolly well going to be the neck. And I'm going to control everything. You know, it's just this desire to manipulate. And that's what we see at the, really the end of Genesis chapter 3. A desire in women to manipulate. And a desire in men to dominate. What I love then about this passage here in Ephesians chapter 5. Is that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God, is taking us as married couples... All the way back to Genesis 2. He's saying, listen, I know you screwed it up. And I know mankind screwed it up. And relationships were always meant to be clearly a head and a helper. I know that. But in Genesis 3, it all went horribly wrong. He's just explained that to us in Ephesians 4. Explaining to us that sin and the enemy within and how things operate. But what he's doing in Ephesians 5 is saying, you know what? As a married couple then, if you're going to live for the glory of God... If you're going to seek to live in a manner worthy of the gospel that you've received, you're going to seek as a married couple by the grace of God and for the glory of God to live all out for him. You as a married couple need to all go all the way back to Genesis 2. You need to understand there's a difference in roles, equal in value, but a grand difference in roles. And then he spends the time in Ephesians chapter 5 
explaining to us what those roles look like. So let's look at this together in light of all that I've just said. Ephesians 5 verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Next week, we're going to be looking at the ladies. What are the role of a wife? But today, we're going to be looking at the role of men. And I am so pleased that this day has finally arrived. I mean, goodness gracious me, it has been a week of conviction for me. I want to share the conviction wealth. I mean, I do, brothers. I just want to share the conviction wealth so that I can be looking at other men thinking, oh, yeah, you're feeling what I'm feeling. That's what I want to actually happen this morning. If you are married, it is your lucky day. Thank you, brothers, for the way you offered to serve in children's ministry this week. That was just so kind of you. I'm pleased that the ladies denied you the opportunity. And here you are instead with me. And there's two things I want to establish with you and exhort you in in terms of biblical headship this morning. This is your role for the glory of God. Within being a husband, you are called by God to be the biblical head of your wife and your home. Now, what the heck does that mean? Well, Paul's explained it to us, so let me, let me give you there's two things that I want us to understand about biblical headship for this morning. Here's the thing. Number one, biblical headship is characterized by love. Biblical headship is characterized by love. Read verse 25 again with me. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, if there's one word that we read in that verse that characterizes that verse. There's one word that we read in this text that characterizes the text in terms of the role of the husband. That word is clearly love. See, husbands, God has not called you by the grace of God to dominate or control your wife. It is not your role to insist that your wife submits to everything because that's a job. That is not your role. That is domination. That's what we see in Genesis 3. That's the sinful man. That's the enemy within. 
We're not called by God as husbands to seek to dominate or control our wives. That is domination. Likewise, we're not called just to provide a roof over their heads. And so, well, listen, what more do you want? I give you all the money to live in this house and you have a nice life. What's your problem? If that's all you think that being a husband is, then let me introduce you to the word abdication. Brothers, that's not what we're called to do. As husbands and as head of the homes, God has called us as husbands to be characterized by love. God has called us by the grace of God not to dominate, not to control, and not to abdicate and just leave everything to our wives. God has called us as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, biblical headship is not in any way an opportunity to control our wives. It's an opportunity to love our wives by serving them, by leading them, by caring for them, by protecting them, and to do all this as Christ has done for the church. And you know, if we were to define what that word love would look like, if we wanted to examine this scripture further and really pull into it further and drill deeper and examine what does that love look like then? Well, again, if we were to define it in a word, it would clearly be this word. Sacrifice. You want to know what love looks like in terms of the way you're seeking to love your wife? Well, it's here. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? Here's how. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, you cannot study this passage and spend time in this verse and this text without beholding the view of Calvary. The finished work of Jesus Christ. What we have in view here, gentlemen, before our eyes is a saviour who is hanging on a cross in our place hanging on a cross for his bride. What we have in view here is Calvary, the moment that Jesus gave himself up for us, receiving the wrath that I deserved, receiving the wrath that you deserved, the moment in Scripture and in history when Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The moment in history and in the Bible when the Savior of the world, the true righteous one, the true majesty, puts on flesh, clothes himself with tissue and bone and skin, and now hangs on a cross for his bride. Because he loves her. And he wants to give himself for her. Such is his overwhelming commitment to her. Listen, husbands, my headship And your headship, indeed the headship of all husbands into the room, is to be a headship that is emulative in very nature by the sacrifice of our Savior. That ain't domination. And that ain't abdication. That is a love characterized by the Savior of the world. You as a husband are never ever going to be called by God to lay your life down for your bride in terms of being a sacrifice for her sin. Jesus Christ has done all that. But you are called by God to emulate the Savior's example, his pattern and his example, and that in very nature is what our headship should look look like. A husband who loves his wife and loves his wife in his protection, 
in his leadership, in his serving, and in his care that is emulative of Jesus Christ. Men, in the way we lead our homes, people should be able to look on and say, you know what? That's Jesus. That's what he was like. In the way you talk, in the way you spend your time, in the way you give yourself to your bride, in the look in your eye as you talk to your wife, well, you know what? It's Jesus. The way you love her and the way you sacrifice for her. You know, that's what we're called to. So here's my question for you, gentlemen. Here it is. Take it on. Enjoy the conviction. What are we doing each day for our wives that involves sacrifice? What are we doing each day for our wives that involves sacrifice? What are you doing each day for your wife that is costing you something? See, King David said that his sacrifice, he would never come to God and offer him something that hasn't cost him anything. That's what sacrifice is. It's costing something. So if you're going to go on a date night and you're going to go to the movies and pick your favorite film because it's really what you want to do, that ain't a sacrifice for your wife. That's a lad's night out and she's tagging along. Okay, that, We know the way it works. I know the way it works because I'm shockingly bad. But that ain't it. Sacrifice is when it costs us something. So men, what are you doing in your marriage that involves sacrifice for your wife, that involves clear and wholehearted, sincere sacrifice. Listen, as you know, it is obvious when you encounter my wife, I have married way out of my league. I mean, goodness me, the Lord, in a moment of blindness, in a moment of insanity, granted me a window for her to say yes, and I jumped in it as soon as I could. I mean, she is, she is way out of my league in, in, in every area. I can't think of any area where I supersede my, my wife. And so for me... The challenges that I face are simply this. I have a wife who is a servant. She serves daily in my home for me and towards my children. And so the challenge that I face when it comes to sacrificing for Emma, the question really comes down to this. Am I just going to seek to take advantage of her and her heart to serve me? Or am I going to deliberately seek to emulate the example of my Savior in laying down my life for her. It would be so easy just to take advantage. And no one would know. And you'd just think, wow, you have a great marriage. And still actually not being putting anything in. Not really being the saviour to my wife. And the truth is, this is an area that I just, I think I just so often fail in. And so take this for an example. One of the things Emma wants and enjoys for intimacy and for our marriage is she loves to talk. And she loves to talk detail. I mean, a lot of detail. And she loves to talk at the end of the day. And she wants to talk at the end of the day. Nothing wrong with that. But this blesses her. Talk at the end of the day about my entire day in detail. I don't want to remember my day. I want to think about the next day. I've just lived my day and it hasn't gone well. I don't want to think about this day. I just want to think maybe it'll be better tomorrow. But no, she would like to talk about my my day. She feels intimate in doing that. She feels close to me in doing that. She loves small talk. I like big talk. She loves fine brush. I like roller. You know, I'm just not really into just lots of fiddling about with things. Oh, I don't know. I don't care. It, it, but so often what that reveals in my marriage and in my life is 
is profound selfishness. I can't be bothered. Why does it matter to you? Sometimes, to my shame, I've even sought to correct her. Why does this matter to you? Maybe there's heart issues for you in this. Why do you need to know? Instead of looking within and saying, you know what, there ain't no heart issues for her. She's just asking some questions. But there's heart issues the size of King Kong hanging out of my life that need to be addressed. Men, where are you going to seek to sacrifice for your wives? Often they're not complicated ones. They're as simple as that. She loves to talk. So you're going to be selfish and not talk? Or are you going to sacrifice like Jesus Christ did and talk? Because that matters to her. Biblical headship is characterized by love. And so men, what are you doing each day that involves sacrifice? Biblical headship is characterized by love, which in turn is revealed by sacrifice. But that's not all that we learn in this text about sacrifice and about headship. Number two, biblical headship centers around sacrifice with our bride's growth in godliness primarily in view. Biblical headship centers around sacrifice with our bride's growth in godliness primarily in view. Verse 25, we learn very clearly that biblical headship is characterized by love and we learn very clearly that that love is defined by sacrifice. But in verse 26 through to 29, Paul then unpacks the purpose of this sacrifice. It appears that our sacrifice as husbands and heads isn't just aimless and without reason. And it isn't just opportunist for every wife to think he's going to sacrifice every time. No, the the sacrifice has a purpose. It has a point. It has a reason. It has a pattern. And that's what we learn about in verses 26 through 29. Let's read it. This is the purpose of the head role sacrifice. Listen. That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So, what's the purpose of the sacrifice? What's the purpose of the sacrifice of Jesus? What's the purpose of the sacrifice of any husband for his bride? Well, to make her holy. That's the purpose of Jesus' sacrifice. That's the purpose of our sacrifice for our wives. It relates into the pursuit of her godliness. To make her holy. You see, guys, we are not just called to sacrifice blindly and aimlessly, okay? That doesn't doesn't cut it. Sometimes you meet people and they are the nicest guys in the world. And you just think, "You you are a nice guy. This is nice guyville and you live in a nice guy house. And and you realize as you interact with these people is they sacrifice all the time. I mean, everything is sacrifice. So what do you want for dinner? Oh, it's not about me. What do you want, love? And just every time it's about sacrifice. But strangely... There's no mention of God in this. It's just sacrifice. It's just guys. That ain't it. It's not just sacrifice. Biblically defined, our sacrifice for our brides, for our wives, always has her growth in godliness in view. 
That was the point of Jesus' sacrifice for his bride. He wanted to cleanse her. He wanted to set her apart and make her holy. And now God in his grace has given wives a biblical head called their husbands that is meant to give himself in a sacrificial, a loving way, primarily so that that wife may grow in godliness, so that a context would be provided in his home where she can grow in her love for Jesus, grow in her love for the Lord, see that working out in the grace of God in all of her life. Now, is that convicting for you or is it just me? I mean, goodness, you think, man, that is, where have I been all my life? I mean, nobody told me that. This is like, what? So I haven't just got to be nice to my wife? No, if you're going to marry someone, you're going to have to be the head of that home. And you've got to provide a context for the glory of God where she can be cared for and led and served so that she can grow in godliness, so that she can become more like Jesus. She's not going to do that through your death. Jesus Christ has died for her. But you are a primary means of grace given by God as the ultimate head towards her to help her grow and become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, the question that I've then been struggling with this week is, you know, Lord, how do I do that? I mean, how do we do this? How, how, does, how do I, how do you as husbands actually sacrifice in such a way that leads to godliness for our brides? How do we actually do this? How does this function and how does this work? Well, this text gives us some really helpful information, but also God's word as a whole gives us some really helpful information as to what this sacrifice needs to look like to provide a context where our wives can grow in godliness. And there's four things that I want us to look at with regard to this. Number one, so how do we sacrifice for our brides? Men, listen up, because this is you, and you were given an account before the Lord on this. It is my role as a pastor to, in some ways, prepare you for this day, but more importantly, I've got to prepare you this day in light of that day. And one day, you will stand before God and you will present your bride to God. This is a big deal. If you are thinking about getting married, those of you engaged, excuse yourself from this, it's too late for you. But if you're thinking about getting married, wives, future wives, do not pick a husband who will not be able to lead you for the glory of God. Do not. If he cannot lead you, do, do not pursue this. Because this is a big deal. Because he is the one who primarily is called by God to create a context where you can grow in godliness. If that has not been your experience in your relationship, call it off by the end of the day. There's no point. This isn't going to work. Same with the guys. Guys, do not pick future wives where you look at them and you think, mate, she hasn't followed me for the last 14 years. Well, she's not going to start with a ring on your finger. You know, it's not going to work. You must look for ladies that exhibit Biblical manhood and womanhood, because one day, brothers, you are going to present her as your bride to the Lord. All right, back to the point. We need help. Brothers, we need help. All right, number one, we sacrifice by growing in godliness ourselves. The first thing we do, men, as a desire to sacrifice for our brides is this. We sacrifice by growing in godliness ourselves. Guys, if you are married then you have been, whether you like it or not, entrusted by God with the role of head. Some guys tried to pretend they haven't been entrusted to it. Bad news, you have. 
This is the way it is. This is the divine order on your marriage. You are called by God to be the head of your home. And on the words, I do, you became the head of your home. It is the way it is, as biblically defined. And yet to exercise that, we must, by God's grace, be growing in godliness ourselves. We must. If our wives are looking to us to provide a context for them where they can grow in godliness, and yet our walk with the Lord sucks, that is a major issue. And I think this is an area where men abdicate so regularly. So how do we grow in godliness? Well, Paul's just told us. So in Ephesians 5, if you look at it, Ephesians 5, um, let me find it, verses 15. Remember, just a few weeks ago. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. What is the role of the head? As he seeks to grow in godliness, as he seeks to position and build a home where his wife can grow in godliness within that context, he must be a man that is applying those two verses. He must be a man that is saying, you know what? My time is short. I might be married for 40 years, for maybe 50 years. Tops. My time is short. And so I must do all I can to ensure that I'm understanding the will of the Lord in my life. And that I am a man that is seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what that talks about. And we all nodded on that week and said, oh, that's lovely. I just feel so encouraged. Well, again, man, you need to understand that this is now right up personal for you as husbands. This is your role. You must do this, not only for yourself, but because there are eyes looking on you. Your bride's eyes are looking on at you. And if you have children, their eyes are looking on at you. Wondering how you're going to lead. Because God's given you the role of leadership. God has given you the role of headship in this family. And man, I want to encourage you, do not abdicate in this area. Do not. In my pastoral experience, to be honest with you, I've met far more men that abdicate than dominate. The ones that dominate are often quite rare, but the ones that abdicate are often quite common. And it's usually because they tried to dominate, they got a bit of a slap down, and so they decided to abdicate instead. It's the way it tends to work. And so men just abdicate. And so they just spend time abdicating to all their wives. Men, you must not do this. You must not. You must lead. In this local church, we must ensure by the grace of God that, that true spirituality and true godliness does not become a feminine trait. We do not want our young boys growing up thinking that true godliness looks like my mum. What does your dad do? I don't know, but he's good on the Wii. That is not going to work. That is just shockingly bad. And so women, I'm not saying that I don't want you to be truly godly. I, I do. But men, you should brandish the gospel and be seeking to lead the line in this. You should. Because you are the biblical heads. You are the ones that lead the line in your homes. This is your role. And so do not abdicate on this under the premise of, oh, it would involve change. Yes, get over it. That's what we're called to do. We're called to change for the glory of God. And for a lot of our time, man, we just have to buck our ideas up, put our shoes on, get on with life, and decide, I've got to change for the glory of God. Because my wife's eyes are looking at me. And my children's eyes are looking at me. And so I have to grow in godliness, not only for myself. I have to grow in godliness for them. It would be a a sad state of affairs, and yet I think it is happening in my generation, where on the whole... True spirituality is more and more becoming a feminine trait. 
ladies are flourishing. Why is it in Christianity that there are two girls for every one male? It's because on the whole, women are seeking to pursue the Lord. And men are abdicating. We must not do that, brothers. We must lead our homes. And so we lead our homes primarily by sacrificing for growing in godliness ourselves. We must. You know, my temptation in that is towards laziness. It is towards selfishness at different times. But that is just things, brothers, we have to deal with for the glory of God. Because this is important. And if we are going to create a context where our wives can grow in godliness, then we must first of all be growing in godliness ourselves. We can't hide behind our wives. We've got to lead our wives. Number two, we sacrifice by discovering where our wife needs to grow. We sacrifice by discovering where our wife needs to grow. You know, I, I love being a pastor in this local church. I, I do. Second only to being a husband to my wife and being a father to my children. I, straight after that, it's being a pastor here. I, I love it. And being a pastor here in Sovereign Grace Church Sydney brings me great joy. But at the same time, I want you to know, ladies, if you are married, then you already have two pastors in this room. And I am the secondary one. You have a primary pastor. Somebody who has been given to you by God, called by God to care for you, to serve you, to wash you with the word, to protect you. And that pastor is the man that comes home with you at the end of this service. It's your husband. You have a head. And so if you are looking to me as your head, as the guy that's going to seek to teach you and protect you and care for you, you're making a mistake. The primary one called to do that is your husband. I'm called by God to care for you all and to care for your husbands, and to care for you within the context of the local church. But primarily, that role of headship has not been given to a pastor. I'm never called the head of the church. Jesus is. The primary role of pastor and headship is your husband. It's the one given by God that comes home with you, who is called by God to care for you and serve you, and wash you with the word. And so husbands, do you recognize that? Do you see that? Do you, do you understand that? Do you grasp that? If, you, if you've never heard that before, then you know what? If need be, just forget everything I've said and go away with this understanding. You are the shepherd of your home. You are the pastor of your home. That is why one day you will present your home before the Lord. Not me. You. This is so important. This is vital stuff. And so husbands... If you don't recognize that you are the primary shepherd in your home, then go away from today recognizing that. And now let me talk to you just momentarily as one pastor to another. Listen up. If you're going to able to be if you're going to be able to pastor your wife well, then you must understand where she needs to grow. You you have to. You won't be able to help her unless you understand and perceive where she needs to grow. Listen, this is going to take a lot of time. This is going to take a lot of patience. This is going to take a whole lot of conversation. Which if you're like me, you better fasten your seatbelt because there's going to be a lot of communication needing to be going on within the context of home if we're going to start to understand and perceive and know where our wife needs to grow. It's going to take time, energy, patience, communication. But by God's grace, 
That's the time and energy and communication we're to sacrifice for the good of our bride. It's an application of what our role actually looks like. It's characterized by love, defined by sacrifice. But what do I have to sacrifice? Well, you know what? Start to sacrifice time and energy and means to start caring for her and helping her and discerning where she needs to grow. Listen, there's a few questions for you. Where does your wife need to grow? Can you provide her with a context where she can open up to you in grace and feel safe in that and secure in that as she begins to communicate with you? Can you provide her with perspective so that she not be overwhelmed by all the areas of her life that she's got to change in and she's just going down the pan and she realizes, I just rubbish. Are you going to be able to help her realize you are saved by grace, my love? God's grace is all over you. And I want to encourage you and refresh you with the truth of Scripture. Can you help her prioritize what is going on in her heart and where to begin with the different evidences of change that may be needed? Can you provide insight into what might be hindering her growth? Now, you are probably freaking out as I say this, but you may be freaking out because you've never stepped up to the plate and realized this is your role. But it is. It is your role. And if this causes panic in your heart, then start to pray more and start to ask more questions of people that are more mature in their walk than you. And say, listen, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. All right, well, let's start with praying and then let's read this material. Let's start going through this because this is important. This is important stuff. And so we sacrifice by discovering where our wife needs to grow, but that's not all. Number three, we sacrifice by helping to provide time and context for our wife's relationship with the Lord to grow. We sacrifice by helping to provide time and context for our wife's relationship with the Lord to grow. All those of you that decided not to make notes this morning, this is an expression of why it might be made good to make notes. But I will try and send these out to you so you have them too. Listen, there are always seasons and times in our wives' lives that are busier than others, right? It's a fact of life. You know, there's sometimes in our marriage that you think, mate, we've got loads of time going on and this is, this is cutting edge stuff and we're just, well, what should we do tonight? Well, let's just read our Bibles. You know, it's just very easy if you've got loads and loads of time. But there's also time in our, lives, in our wives' lives where at the end of the day, they're just very busy. There's loads of stuff going on. And it's in those times, men, that we need to be stepping up to the plate and providing a time and a context for our wife's walk with the Lord not to go down the drain. Because I've seen this so many times and I've lived this at different times where I've realized my failure to lead Emma has resulted in a lack of a, of a cultivation of a relationship with Jesus in her heart because I've just not provided the time. I've not provided the context. And listen, I particularly burned on this for those that have wives with small children. If you have a wife with small children, then I exhort you and encourage you, they need your help on this point. They desperately need your help on this point because I've seen so many ladies having given birth to then be okay, but then six months down the track are wondering if they're even Christians because they've started to be at the meetings 
because you know they can't get into the meetings because they've got the small child. They're having no quiet time because they're so busy with the child. And even when it comes to the quiet time moment, they're just sleeping instead. And the husband's just carrying on as if, she'll be all right. It's not going to work. She's not going to be okay. It is our job to provide a context for them to grow in godliness. So it is our role then, brothers, to ensure that we provide a time and a context for our wife's relationship with the Lord to grow. And I've been on the receiving end of this many times. I remember um, just a few months ago when Emma went on retreat with our home group leaders and life group leaders' wives. And so she left me for 24 long hours um, with the children. And brothers, if you're unclear what your wife actually does, I suggest you do the same. You send her off for 24 hours and we'll see how you get on. I, I, I remember just thinking, this is a nightmare. This is so difficult. There's so much to do. I mean, they're just, they're, I thought my wife asked questions. These guys ask so many questions. Just questions, questions, questions. Can we play? We just played an hour ago. You know, well, what is up with this? Why do you want to play all the time? And Lydia's like, Daddy, I've pooped. I don't care. I don't care what you've done. I'm not bothered. Just sort yourself out. Has mummy not taught you to wipe? Um, it's all over. Oh, oh my gosh. You know, it's, it's just not pleasant. But I remember Emma coming home, and I'm just like the welcome party. That oh, thank you, Jesus, you're back. And I sat her down, and I said, Emma, listen, I've so missed you. Here's the issue. It is paramount that you do not die. <laughs> it was an expression of affection, but it was deadly serious. This is not the time for you to die. Do not do any dangerous things. Do not play rough sports. You must not die during this season, Okay. It was full on. I can believe how difficult it is to be a stay-at-home mom. Now listen then, seriously men, it is very difficult. And if your wife has got one or more small children, they are bombarded with questions, with the need to sacrifice for them, with the need to serve them. And it is so easy because they are so servant-hearted to sacrifice their relationship with God as they serve your family. On your watch. That is not acceptable. And so we need to provide time and a context where we can serve them to say, you know what, love? You need time with the Lord. For some of you, that might mean sacrificing daily to get up early enough in your life so that not only you can have your quiet time, but you're then encouraging your wife to have half an hour out with her quiet time while you serve the kids, while you give them breakfast, while you get them ready for the day. For others of you, it might mean sacrificing to say, you know what, love, once a month, the first Saturday of every month, I am going to care for our children, I'm going to make memories with our children, and I want you to be released for the day so that you can listen to messages, so that you can cultivate your relationship with the Lord, where you can worship the Lord. It's not for me to tell you, it's for you to work out what is going to bless your wife. But we must do this. Your wife is in so many ways, if she's a believer, a reflection of you. Men, we have to step up then and say, I've got to care for her. She's one flesh with me. She's the one that the Lord has entrusted to my care and my leadership. So we need to provide a context and time for a wife's relationship with the Lord to grow. Finally, number four, if you can take any more. We sacrifice by ongoingly nourishing and cherishing our wives. Let's read verse 28 together. I love this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. I love in this text Paul's realism. It is just earthy realism as he goes to different things. In verse 25, he has taken us to the sublime heights of Jesus. Has he not? Verse 25, the sublime heights of Calvary. And we get to see and behold as husbands that, my goodness, I need to lay my life down for my wife in a way that is emulative of Jesus Christ's sacrifice at Calvary. That is full on. That is sublime. Now he takes us to earthy ridiculous. And he says, all right, dudes, listen up. Just in case you haven't grasped the Jesus thing, or just because this is too big a concept for you, here's up. Here's what we're going to do. You know the way you look after your own bodies, men? Nourishing it, cherishing it, pruning it, making sure you get enough rest, making sure you wash your hair, making sure you care for your own bodies. And, oh, I just need some me time. I better have a drink. The, the way you care for your own bodies, Paul is saying, listen, no one ever hated his own body. They didn't. You know, this whole idea of self-esteem, which I must not go off track, but the whole idea of self-esteem, that you've got to love yourself uh, before you can love anybody else. Um, lovely, it's heresy. It's not true. The Bible never teaches it. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and make sure you love yourself first. It doesn't. Paul here is saying, you know what, make sure you love them as yourself. He's assuming you love yourself. And even when we think we struggle with self-esteem, that's because we love ourselves too much. And we're so bothered about ourselves and what people might perceive about ourselves that we decide that we have lower self-esteem. No, you think too much of yourself, not, not enough. It's an evidence of pride, but that's for another day. But back to this issue, the point is we need to cherish and nourish our wives in the same way that we do our own bodies. So we look after them in the same way that we do ourselves through nourishment and cherishing. One commentator says, Paul uses the emotionally evocative language of nourish and cherish to communicate in all realism what it means to love one's wife. It's so earthly, so real, but so helpful. So what does it mean to nourish our wives? Well, I submit to you it really means three things. Communication, communication, Communication. That's how we nourish primarily our wives. By talking. By communicating with them. Not just getting in from work and going on the computer, but getting in from work and communicating. Realize this is my time now to serve in my home. See, our homes, men. Oh, our homes, and I've made this mistake so many times. Our homes can be our place of refuge. As if I've had a hard day at work, and now I'm home, I need you to serve me. That is not biblical. What is biblical is now I am home, my primary service comes into view, and I'm home to serve you. That changes things a little bit. It's very different. And nourishment means that we spend the time communicating and communicating and communicating, talking about what they've been up to. What have they been reading? God's word. How can they be blessed? All the different things of life. Secondarily, if there's one other thing that I'd pick on in terms of what nourishment means, it would be encouragement. The gift of encouragement towards our wives. Guys, our wives as Christians stand up to a lot of hostility in our culture. They do. And if they are defined by what we'll be talking about next week, looking at the role of the helper in a submissive role, then they, that is so difficult in our culture. It is so countercultural. 
And so they need to be the object of much encouragement for the way they sacrifice in our homes, for the way they serve in our homes, the way they give themselves to us, to our children, to the local church. They need to be the object of much encouragement. And that's what it means to nourish, to communicate, to encourage. And what does it mean to cherish our wives? I did a lot of study on this week. Here's where it comes out. To cherish your wife means this, to lovingly protect and care for her with great affection. To lovingly protect and care for her with great affection. You know, guys, we can play the card all too quickly that romance isn't in the Bible. Show me where romance is the Bible. You know, why is this so important to her that she just needs to feel affectionate? What is up with this? It sucks. Well, yeah, if you read romance in the commentary, it's not there. Look up the word cherish. Oh, that's there. And it's talking about caring for your wife in a way that is loving and protecting in a desire to care for her, in a desire to provide a context where she can grow in godliness. Quite literally, men, it is our responsibility to make her feel special. That's not girly boy stuff. That's biblical stuff. It is our role to make her feel special. And as we provide then a context where she can grow in godliness, that's our role, to ensure that our communication is that of nourishing and cherishing and helping her for the glory of God. And so, brothers, we sacrifice. We sacrifice in our lives out of love, primarily so that our wives may grow for the glory of God. Now, if we're honest, just finally in closing, there are probably a few of you brothers right now feeling similar to myself, namely quite overwhelmed. I mean, this is like, this is full on for Jesus. And for many weeks we've been thinking, I just want to live for Jesus. And we think, oh, Jesus, it's all about you. In all I do, I follow you. And then you get all this and you think, my goodness gracious me, I'm so far behind. I, I've got some, so much work to do. I don't know where to start. It can be both exhilarating and overwhelming, can it not? It can be exhilarating. You think, man, this is amazing. This is, this is the role and this is the role that God's called me to. Thank you, Jesus. And then the next breath. Oh my gosh, this is the role he's called me to. I can't do it. It can be overwhelmed in what we're doing. Well, knowing that that can be the case and knowing that I have felt that so many times in my life, I just want to close by taking you husbands to two people, two important people in your life. They're going to help you. First is your savior, the perfect man, the perfect groom. Hebrews 4 says it this way, a verse you're familiar with. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Brothers, we have a glorious Savior who is the perfect man and the perfect groom. And he is ensured that the Spirit of Jesus now lives in our heart, lives in our heart to help us, to reveal things in our hearts and help us to grow from one degree of glory to the next. God isn't just calling us to this and then saying, well, all the best, kids, you're accountable at the end. He's saying, no, I'm calling you to this and now I'm here to help you. Let's make a start, one thing at a time. So it is so important that the answer to this is not go away and panic. The answer to this is go away and pray. Lord, I need your help. If I'm going to be the head of my home, 
that you've called me to be. I need you now more than ever. See, I think sometimes as men, we don't pray because we don't recognize our need. But when you recognize your need as biblically defined in your home, you become praying men pretty quick. Do you realize, Lord, I need, I need you. I, I don't know where to start. So number one, go to your Savior. And number two, go to your helper, your bride, your wife, a gift from God. And I want to encourage you men to find some unhurried time with your wife over this week. Spend some time with your wife in an unhurried way and start to draw out. You see, I think sometimes some of the biggest mistakes I've made is trying to be macho about it and trying to sort all the different things out in my life first and then going back to her and letting her know. That's not very helpful. We're better to use her as part of the process. She'll be able to help you. She'll be able to issue you with help. She's called by God to help you. So we need to let them into our lives so that they can offer our help. And here's some questions that I'd love for you to ask your wife in this unhurried time. Three questions in particular. If you knew I wouldn't become angry, always a helpful start, how would you honestly evaluate my leadership of you? If you knew I wouldn't become angry, how would you honestly evaluate my leadership of you? Number two, what is one specific way I can serve you more effectively? What is one specific way? So don't be general, okay? Well, you could just serve me by being nice. Okie dokie, I'll work on that. That's not, no, be specific. What is one specific way I can serve you more effectively? And number three, what are things that I could do that would make you feel special. We're called by God to cherish. The problem is, guys, if you're like me, you haven't got a clue where to begin. Ask them. What are, you know, love, what are some of the things that I could do to make you feel special? Because I'm just a bit, you know, limited on my brain level to figure out what's going to make you feel special. So can you communicate to me some of the things that would be special? What are the things that I could do to make you feel special? Listen, wives, just in closing... When your husband asks you this, be honest. Uh, this is not the time. I'm not quite sure when we're going to get to marriage again. This is not the time to say, oh, no, my love, you're just lovely. Not the time. Okay, not the time. You can communicate that, and if my wife wants to communicate that, I'll take that. But in all honesty, we know we're not as good as that. So be honest. You know, they're asking you, so critique them, help them, encourage them, be honest. And then, <laughs> having been honest... Be real patient, okay, because this is really hard. And I would argue that the role of a husband in this is incredibly hard. Because the role of the husband in particular is to be Jesus and to lay his life down in a sacrificial way for his bride. That, that's hard. So be patient with the men. This isn't an excuse. I'm just trying to bring in a bit of realism that they're probably not going to be Jesus by next Sunday. So be honest. Be patient and then be encouraging and receiving of their efforts. And if they are like me, that's all they'll be, efforts. You know, I think one of the issues sometimes is we communicate with our wives, what makes you feel special? And they say, well, flowers make me feel special. So you come running home the next day with a big bunch of flowers and I say, yeah, but I told you to do that. Not helpful. Okay, give them a break. You know, they're trying, they're trying, they're leaning for Jesus. You know, just give them some room. So be receiving of their efforts, be encouraging of their efforts. 
Because that's how we change. You know, guys are just basic, <laughs> basic beings. Give us a break. You know, we're going to try and lay our life down for you, but this is going to be a lifelong task and we will probably still suck at the end of it. Okay, so give us some time. Give us some time and some room. So be honest. Be encouraging. Be patient. Amen. Let's do this. This is not the time in our lives to abdicate. This is not the time to just put it to one side and think, I'll get onto that when I'm older. You are old. This is it. You are called by God to this task. So let us, by the grace of God, be men who are characterized by love and sacrifice for our wives, for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I thank you for your intimate care of us and for the clarity of Scripture. Lord, it's so kind of you not to leave us as brothers guessing what our roles are. We know what our roles is. And so, Lord, I, I pray for these folks gathered before me now. Lord, for, for singles. Lord, for single men as they prepare to be these men. Lord, would they not put off putting some of these things on as if, well, it doesn't count for me, I'm not married. Lord, these are things that they will all need to walk in if you've called them to be married. So would they begin to prepare to be godly men, men who lead, men who acknowledge biblical masculinity in their lives. Lord, for single women, Lord, if they desire to be married, I pray that you would provide for them a godly husband one day. Lord, you are kind. And if this be the desire of their heart, no matter how old they are, Lord, did you provide for them a husband and a godly man as you've called us to be? Lord, for the wives, I pray that you would give them the gift of patience, gift of honesty, the gift of integrity as as their husbands communicate. Lord, would there be much encouragement come from their mouths as their husbands seek to make efforts. And Lord, for the men, for the husbands, Lord, we want to be like you. Thank you for our brides. And help us know with wisdom then how we are to walk specifically with our bride in mind for your glory. Lord, I close now just by praying for those who are married to unbelievers. Lord, it can seem so clear from Scripture that this is the way it was meant to be and we can secondarily then feel that we've missed out, that this isn't right. Lord, I thank you that you have put us with the people that you've put us with by your grace and for your glory. So within the context of being married to an unbeliever, would you give each spouse who is a believer the gift of nonetheless carrying forward their role for your glory? Lord, would there not be any feeling that that spouse is missing out because you are the good groom. You are the perfect groom. And in you we trust. In Jesus' name, amen.